The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. And I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. An autonomous vehicle just killed someone. Now what? So I'm not sure if you guys heard, but very recently, as of the recording of this podcast, there was an Uber vehicle in Tempe, Arizona, that was driving around 10 p.m. in the evening, and it struck and hit a pedestrian who was crossing the street with a bike. And the pedestrian was rushed to the hospital and unfortunately succumbed to her injuries very shortly after. So we've been following this all day long and the news has been slowly coming out with additional reports on what's happened, but it's still pretty vague right now. So Uber has paused all of its self-driving operations, which currently operates in Phoenix, Pittsburgh, San Francisco, and Toronto. And they say that this is a standard move when something like this happens and the investigation is still active. So our condolences go out to the family and everybody involved because this is a terrible tragedy. But we wanted to talk about this on today's podcast because it brings up some really important topics that we've been discussing for a while which is when you have a self-driving and autonomous vehicle, what happens? So with this particular case, there was a human behind the wheel, but the car was in autonomous mode, which means that the human was not driving, but it was in the car. So with that, it brings up the question of who is at fault. Let's start with the first thing. So of course, the big question we have at first is, was the pedestrian at fault here, right? So we don't know the full circumstances of what happened here, but from the early reporting, it looks like the pedestrian was not inside the crosswalk. There was a bicycle involved. If you look at the picture, it's clear there was a bicycle involved, but we don't know if she was riding the bicycle, if she was walking the bicycle, if somehow the bicycle was otherwise involved. But I guess the question for us is like, well, maybe this is just like every other accident that happens. You know, the accidents happen all the time. Well, later on in this podcast, we'll go over why this is maybe more specific or relevant or important than a usual accident. So maybe the accident happened for the same reason accidents happened all the time. Somebody wasn't paying attention. Somebody came out of nowhere, came out of the blue, did something that was not expected, didn't cross in a crosswalk, and an accident happened. But, you know, do we think maybe this is different, though? Maybe the pedestrian really wasn't at fault here. I don't know. So we could talk a little about, do we think the pedestrian had any fault here in this situation? I mean, yes, because the pedestrian was walking outside of a crosswalk. So technically, that is illegal. But as far as a visual, being able to see them, you know, you could assume hopefully the car could have seen them. It was at night. I don't know exactly where on the road it was, if there was some sort of blind spot or curve or there was some object that was blocking her. That hasn't come out yet. So I don't know, but I'm going to say the pedestrian probably was not 100% not at fault. Right. And we may talk about this a little bit later and talk about what laws could come into play here. But it's interesting, Kathleen and I are both in the state of Maryland, and Maryland has one of the more unusual rules around traffic accidents that says that even if the pedestrian was even just 1% at fault, you know, they didn't cross in the cross walk or they weren't paying attention. They were wearing black their black. Yeah. Or they were listening to their iPod and they weren't paying attention. They're wearing sunglasses at night or something like that. And the driver could say, you know, and might've been 99% me, but it was 1% you. 
And in the case of Maryland, you're shown not to be a completely at fault. Now, that's not the rule here in Arizona, but it shows that you can't maybe say in this particular case that the Uber self-driving vehicle has all the fault here. So something I'm going to pay attention to, but it's one of the areas you could point the blame and say, okay, well, maybe it was the pedestrian at fault. But all right. So then the next thing, could it be the AI technology that's at fault? Well, we've talked about in our AI Today Facebook group, we've posted some articles on this where the technology that is used right now is very, very sensitive. And it's not like a typical car that we think of where, you know, you can run it through the car wash, you can let it get muddy, get salt on it. You know, the windows are a little blocked, but you can see good enough. Put some windshield wiper fluid on and you're good to go. These are very, very sensitive machines and they need to have special hand washing with special cloths. So it it could be the AI technology. It could have been blocked in some way and not maybe functioning at 100%. Yeah. So in this case, you could say, well, maybe when the pedestrian's family looks to find someone liable and the state looks to find someone liable, be like, well, maybe your sensors weren't functioning. How do we know your sensors were functioning properly? As Kathleen and I have been doing some research on the autonomous vehicle market, there's a lot of sensors. These cars are literally 360 degrees. They have visibility, not just with visual cameras, but they have infrared. They have something called LIDAR, which is basically a laser version of radar. So they could see far ahead. They could see when traffic is stopped. So you can say, well, they should have seen this obstacle. They should have seen this obstacle moving. What happened? Well, we could say, well, maybe there was a sensor problem. Maybe, you know, uh, as Kathleen mentioned, you know, maybe it was covered in some sort of detritus or something and it was just an issue. So that's a second point of blame. But the interesting thing is the more we dig into this, the more we find what's unusual about this case and what the reason why we're so interested in it is because there's a lot more things that can be at fault here than a typical accident. Right. So next, could it be Uber itself? You know, it was an Uber vehicle that was on the road and that hit somebody. So is Uber the company liable or not? You can argue, you know, both ways for that as well, since it was their car. Yeah. And, you know, and to that point, I mean, there have been some comments about Uber in general that they have, we don't want to make any value plays here because we don't really know the, well, the and, details and about in that. in particular about Uber self-driving program. Right. That apparently they've had many incidents before. There were apparently reports of uh, Uber cars switching lanes without notice, blowing red lights, and that there were a lot of warning signs here and that sort of based on everybody's just trying to move this thing so fast and so forward and, and you know, Arizona and all these states just want to make these autonomous vehicles happen, that they were ignoring all these warning signs. And so you can say, well, maybe just these cars should not have been on the road and Uber's program was just too aggressive. Yeah. And maybe, you know, you should take a step back and really evaluate what went wrong in each of these situations that did not have a life ending injury and that didn't happen. So, you know, maybe somebody's at fault there. The next person that could be at fault is the Uber human supervisor in the car. So right now, you can't have a fully autonomous vehicle on the road. There needs to be a human behind the wheel. And there was, but it was in autonomous mode. So if there's a human behind the wheel, then how did that happen? How did the pedestrian get hit? Right now, we don't know all of the answers as to what happened and all of the circumstances in this case. So we can't say, well, why didn't the human operator take over control in time? Mm-hmm. I mean, I could totally see. I mean, I really feel for the guy who is the human operator behind the wheel here because you know, Uber is going to say, well, your job was to be the human safety controller. You know, if the AI system fails, the computer reboots, you know, something goes wrong. You're not supposed to just let the car keep moving. You're supposed to take over. And you could say, well, maybe this Uber human supervisor was at fault. You know, maybe we're trying to figure out who's at fault here. You know, maybe it wasn't the pedestrian. Maybe it wasn't the technology. Maybe it wasn't Uber. Maybe it was this person. I don't know how you're going to prove that this person should have responded in time unless you have cameras inside the vehicle 
to show what's happening. Maybe they do. If they do, then, you know. Well, or if you can go to its, if it has something like a black box, you know, like the plane with the recorder so that it can see what happened and, and see, did the human operator try and take over the vehicle and maybe couldn't, maybe there was an issue or the human operator did try and take over the vehicle, but it couldn't stop in time or no, the human operator wasn't paying attention either and didn't even try and take over the vehicle. So that needs to all come out as well. And that's going to take some time. So actually following up on that, were the passengers in the Uber car, if I'll be like, what? How could there possibly been? Well, first of all, we don't actually know if there were passengers. we don't know if there were passengers, so no. It's true. But if there were passengers, like, come on, Ron, how can you even say that the passengers were at fault? Well, let's go back to this example of the human safety inspector. Were the passengers distracting the human safety person? And if so, the passengers, maybe they were doing something like, oh, the car is driving by itself. Let's all turn around and take selfies, you know, when at this moment. not the passenger's fault. That's still the driver's fault, this operator's fault, because they should know better. I mean, do you do that when you're driving a vehicle? No, you'd be pretty stupid. And then it would definitely be the driver's (laughs) fault. So no, I'm not going to take that. But, you know, thinking about contributory negligence here, and I'm thinking about all the parties involved here, (laughs) maybe for that one, probably (laughs) the most far-fetched. But, you know, trust me, if there were passengers in that vehicle, I wouldn't want to be one of them. I want to not party to a lawsuit. So let's continue here. Like, you know, there are a lot of people who are really dissecting this now, who are taking apart every single piece of this thing, trying to understand what contributed to this accident. And there are, but if you read um, Hacker News or Reddit, there are people posting right now about that this particular intersection where this accident happened is a confusing one because the bike lane crosses over the turning lane. And there's this dashed line, which is supposed to indicate that the bike lane continues forward while the other, the right turning lane crosses over it. It's very confusing, I think, for humans. And I think some people are saying, well, maybe who's to blame here is it's just bad road design. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. And, you know, maybe these vehicles don't understand what a dotted line means because in different situations, it can mean different things. It's not necessarily clear that it's the bike lane where maybe a human just visually can understand that because they say, okay, well, this is a continuation. That makes sense. But this, you know, the vehicle just can't understand that. So maybe it could be faulty design. Sometimes people who live in the area also know the nuances of the road where it's just weird, but that's how it is. And everybody who lives there knows that that's how it is. But an autonomous vehicle doesn't because it doesn't understand nuances. So, you know, with that, if you're going to say it's the road design, well, could it also be the state of Arizona itself? Now, I mean, that's a bold claim, but the reason that we're saying that and the reason that self-driving cars and companies have flocked to Arizona is that Arizona has chosen to basically completely deregulate them and they don't even have to report statistics to the state like they do in California. So, you know, if the laws are very relaxed there, which it sounds like they are, maybe these companies are really trying to push the limits and they've just gone a little too far. A lot of people are talking about the fact that Arizona has a light regulatory regime with regards to autonomous vehicles. They're clearly trying to build an autonomous vehicle industry in the state of Arizona. And as a result, a lot of self-driving car companies have flocked to Arizona and they've chosen there because it's less of a regulatory climate than California. So apparently you don't even have to write to report statistics like California. So that could also be an issue. So we've laid out, you know, a bunch of potential people or companies that this could be at fault. But so do we say that everybody's at fault? Do we say that nobody's at fault? Do we say, well, in this case, you know, maybe 
this person was at fault, but in the next case, it's this person, the next case, it's this person. I don't know. I think for us, the question is like, you know, is it possible that nobody is at fault for this? And people are like, well, what do you mean nobody is at fault for this? Like, well, accidents just happen. And it's possible that, you know, here we have a small number of autonomous vehicles that are having accidents. I think the interesting thing about this is that there's so few autonomous vehicles even on the road that every autonomous vehicle that gets on the road is news making. And so therefore, every time an autonomous vehicle gets into an accident, that makes news. And so here we have a situation where we have the first fatality. And this is something we've been thinking about and talking about for a while. And now all of a sudden, it's real. We've gone from the world of theory to the actual world of reality. And now we have to deal with these consequences. So, you know, maybe there's a not an overreaction, but maybe there's an overfocus on this just because of how rare this is to happen. So you know, the question is, is, do we see this really hurting the industry? Is it possible that really nobody is to blame here? But we have somebody has to be to blame here, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, in the case of when there's a human driver behind the wheel, somebody's always at blame. I think what makes this difficult is that when there's a human and human or human and animal or whatever, you know, like you hit a deer, it's always hard to figure out blame to begin with. So now you throw this autonomous vehicle into the mix and it makes it even harder. So there's that that's going on. But I do think that, you know, we are just not going to, as a society, accept an answer of nobody's at fault. I just don't think that we are. I mean, we talked about this, like, you know, is it possible that we have nature could be at fault, right? You know, we have deer and getting in the way of cars. We have ice on the road. And you can't say, well, well, it was the human's fault. Do we assign the blame to the deer and the ice in those situations? What happens in the situation where legitimately was a tree fell on the car or something happened? I think that that's, you file an insurance claim that a tree fell on the car. They come out, they assess it and they say, okay, yes, a tree really did fall on the car. And then you can file your insurance. So it's a little different here because it's, you know, well, who's at blame? Like, because you always want to blame somebody, right? You always want an answer, especially with a death. You always want to feel that justice was served. And so I think here it's kind of like, well, if everybody's saying it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, then you're not really feeling that justice was served. And I think for us, it's like, I don't think we want to feel that autonomous vehicles are like an act of nature. <laughs> like, oh, I got hit by an act. No, because clearly it wasn't. So, so I think at this point, you know, where we are right now in the history of autonomous vehicles and trying to understand this is that right now we want to look at all of these factors. They all could possibly be an issue, whether it's, you know, the passengers in the car, the Uber, the vehicle, the pedestrian, the road design, the state of Arizona. We just want to think about them all. So let's get to this next point here. And that is like, you know, maybe accidents just happen. So what is different about this topic? So in this case, you know, we had said that there's not that many autonomous vehicles on the road, especially compared to regular vehicles. So whenever an autonomous vehicle does anything, especially negative, it makes big news. And I think that part of that is because it's new and people sometimes like to hate on new. I think that also sometimes people are afraid of change, afraid of technology. And so, you know, they always want to point to the negative instead of pointing a lot to the positive. I also think that a lot of positive stories are not expressed in the news because they're not really newsworthy, right? Like autonomous vehicle got me from point A to point B and I'm safe. Oh my God, that's a win, but it's not a good news piece. You know, so what's the big deal with this and why do we care so much? Well, number one, we care because we lost a human life and that's never okay. And then number two, we say, well, what can we learn from this and how does it improve? So I think that that's why people care so much, which also then brings up, well, was this bad technology and sensors at play or was it bad AI with the decision making process? And, you know, is one of or both of those at blame or do we just need to say, hey, this stuff is going to happen and we just need to accept that? 
I think what makes this interesting here is that these autonomous vehicles are complicated systems. And it's a bunch of different things. You have the vehicle, then you have the sensors on the vehicle, and then you have the AI system that's supposed to understand it. And I think I could see this situation where the sensors say, hey, we detected this obstacle coming down the road. You AI system, you were supposed to know that it was a pedestrian and you were supposed to do some sort of evasive maneuver or something. And then I could see the AI system saying, well, no, you gave us faulty information. Your sensors were misconfigured or your information was blocked or unclear or something like that. So we couldn't make a decision. And there's this finger pointing, you know, who is to blame? Is it the sensors? Is it the AI software? And I think for our purposes, we need to treat this like it's a complete system. You can't take the sensors away from the brain. It's like saying we can take the eyes away from the brain and say, hey, eyes, why didn't you see that rock that was about to fall on top of you? Brains are like, what are you talking about? You know, your eyes were closed. (laughs) So I think from a liability perspective, I could totally see treating the whole package as one and treating that as a joint liability issue. One thing that we had posted about in our AI Today Facebook group, we had posted an article recently about how these cars are not like normal vehicles on the road, meaning that their sensors are actually very sensitive and they can't go through things like a car wash, for example. And they need to be washed by hand with special cloths and make sure that the sensors are all visible, where it doesn't handle things that normal cars do, such as mud or, you know, salt from your vehicle, where if we can't see, we just make sure that our windshield wiper is clean, maybe some side windows, the rear window, and we're good to go. But these cars need to be specially hand-washed, make sure that all of their sensors are acting, you know, 100% all of the time, or they don't function properly. So maybe there could have been something going on. And one of the articles we're going to post in the show notes here, um, the New York Times article quotes someone who's saying that the technology for autonomous vehicles is really very brittle and that they're a little surprised that this stuff is actually being used in sort of real life scenarios and like okay well that's what the technologists are saying it's very brittle maybe we're at a too immature point and maybe there's something we need to do and you know we'll have to think about you know when we talk about laws and regulations we'll have to think like well maybe there's some things that we can do that the states can do to really improve the way that we know that these technologies are ready for use but it's interesting to see that technologists are saying that the technology is very brittle and we're using them in real world scenarios that have potential life and death consequences, you could say, would you trust autonomous aircraft in this situation? Would you get on a plane if the plane had a situation where the sensors were very brittle and they couldn't handle icing conditions or something? You'd be like, ooh, that's a little... Yeah, little bit. that the system override would take an effect and the pilot would drive, but yeah. So then this brings up another point of ours and topic is Uber just took all of their self-driving cars off of the road and they put their program temporarily on hold. So is this the end of the self-driving industry. So, I mean, clearly everybody's taking a pause here because as I mentioned, we've gone now from theory to reality. We're now... I don't know that everybody's taking a pause, just Uber is. I mean, we're all thinking about it, but there are still self-driving cars on the road and trucks. Yeah. And they have not either on purpose or by choice, temporarily suspended their vehicles. Their vehicles haven't gotten in accidents. Their vehicles are still on the road. So this is just Uber in the four cities that we mentioned, you know, Pittsburgh, Toronto, Phoenix, and San Francisco. I think it makes sense for them to pause here because this is the first time that this situation has actually occurred. So we can't talk about it in theory now. A car driven by Uber on autonomous mode hit a pedestrian and killed that pedestrian. This is now a fact and not a hypothetical situation. So I think it's smart. I mean, first of all, it would be insensitive for Uber to basically say, okay, well, all the cars are back on the road tomorrow. They really need to understand clearly for this one particular situation, who was at fault and how did this happen and how can they provide 
prevent that from happening again. And they could say, our systems were fine. Our car was fine. Our human supervisor was paying attention. There were no pedestrians in the car. The pedestrian just did something that was unexpected. And the car just did not either respond or respond. Probably. We'll, we'll have to know what that is. Yeah. So I think that's clear. Do we see this as the end? No. I think this is what happens with new technology. I mean, the first talk about the first airplanes. First airplanes had a terrible safety rating. Uh, it's a terrible safety record. I think like the first car accident happened very, very early in the history of the car. And like, and it was like driven, I don't know, but like it didn't... Driving in like the early 1900s was not like driving of today. They yeah. didn't have two-way roads as we know them. And I don't think roads were paved very well. And also pedestrians didn't know how to behave around cars. That's true too. And, and maybe cars didn't have safety mechanisms. Maybe, who knows what happened? I doubt they had seatbelts. Right. I doubt <laughs> it. I doubt it. They barely had suspension. <laughs> So I think for us, we see this as like a necessary evolution that this industry has to go through. It's unfortunate to say that we had to have a death to make this happen because I wish we didn't have to have a death to make this happen. But it was like the space race. We had Apollo 1 and Apollo 1 was a huge tragedy. We lost three astronauts. And it, it was from that incident that NASA learned a lot of things that they had not learned in any way because they never had a fatality like that, never had to deal with that in that way. So what does this mean? So how can we move this industry forward? I mean, what sort of laws and regulations can we put in place? Can we put any laws and regulations at all into place here? Yeah, and we've touched upon this in our 2018 predictions. Where this gets tricky is we're in the U.S. So where this gets tricky is that we have states that regulate certain laws, such as getting driver's licenses. And then we have federal laws and regulations that regulate certain things like a car needs to have a steering wheel. Well, right now it's been fine because they haven't really intersected in any way. But when you have a self-driving vehicle, then it starts to take the state laws and the federal laws and start mushing them together. And not all the state laws are the same. So you don't have some uniform law that everybody's kind of adopted. And that's where things start to get tricky. And I think one of the things we talked about is like, what is the easiest laws that can be put into place here? I mean, reporting laws could be easy. Like, you know, maybe there can be a federal law that says that autonomous vehicle operators need to report incidents like accidents. And so that we need to know, like, what happened? Was it between a car and a pedestrian or between a car and another car, a car and a truck, a car and a bike, a car and a... So that would... Maybe how many per month, what time of day, you know, very basic facts so that you can say, okay, well, most of these happen at night between these hours in this condition, you know, when it's been raining or something like that. So you can learn from that and then make adjustments accordingly so that these vehicles become safer. I think that's an easy law. Yeah. Will it happen? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, I think the other thing we had been talking about this really interesting idea, and that is that, you know, as a human, you have to take a driver's test and you have to be able to you know, pass this test to be able to drive a car. But we were talking about the fact that you actually learn how to drive over many years before you even step foot and try to get that driver's license. Yeah. So when, you know, as a child, you are driven around by your parents or family friends, your grandparents, and you start learning the rules of the road. So you know that a red light means stop and you know that a green light means go and you know what a stop sign looks like and you know, oh, cars park on the side of the road and this is a driveway. And, you know, you just start learning very basic rules. A of the stop road. sign is red. A stop sign is red. Yeah. And, and so you're learning to drive your whole life, whether or not you're actually behind the wheel. And then, you know, every state has a different law about when you can get your learner's permit. But let's just say that your state at 16. So then that means that, you know, you take a driver's ed class and you get behind the wheel and then you 
have to pass a written test. And once you've done that, then you pass a road test as well. And then once you've done that, now you get your license. And then some states have a gradual license where it phases in and you have restrictions based on your age. Then once you hit a certain age, you get you know full driving rights. You can drive 24 hours. Some of them limit to maybe 10 p.m. as if you're 17. Number of, you can't have a certain number of people in your car. Yeah. Don't have to be a certain age. So we're wondering, you know, maybe one of the things that states can do is basically implement an autonomous versioning of the driver's test where they could say not just the company, but every vehicle yeah. needs to go through a test. Like, you know, drive through this course in, you know, in these situations with these obstacles and in these lighting situations, these weather situations. And if you pass it, then your vehicle is certified for the road, just like every driver has to be certified for the road. And then maybe what's different is that maybe every vehicle needs to be recertified every year. Every year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, or more or less, depending on, you know, what data has said about these sensors and whatever. So maybe every year you go through a simulated course so that it can test you in all different types of conditions and it can test you in dark uh-huh. and light and, you know, maybe really cold situations. What does that do to the technology and the sensors? Where with a typical driver, you don't need to do that because you're inside the car, there's heat, it's warm. I mean, maybe, you know, you want to make sure your car, certain things happen in the cold, but overall it's fine. Maybe another one of these laws can have to do with the sensors. Maybe there can be a law that says that sensors have to be able to operate in certain conditions. And if they're not, they cannot be certified yeah. for use. Now, it's not, like I know that when, you know, especially when you're driving in a Northeast state during the winter time, you're driving on roads, you know, you, you have to use that windshield wiper a lot to dissolve the salt, which makes it hard to see. Right. And that's your windshield. Think about where the sensors are. They're on the sides of your car, the front of your car, the back of your car. That's bottom. Yeah. These things get covered with salt really easily. Maybe there's a, maybe a new law or regulation could say that if a sensor has a malfunction and cannot operate properly, that maybe it has to alert the driver and shut down or basically say be rendered not inoperable, but basically be impaired mode to say this car sensors are not operating at the required level of effectiveness to be able to comply with the laws. You must pull over and you must get the sensors back into functioning condition, right? That could be a law or regulation. Well, either you have to pull over and get them into functioning condition or right now a human must take control. And this car is not operable in a fully autonomous mode until those sensors are back in conditions that comply with the regulation. So that's like if your headlights were out or or your wipers are out. There are certain things that you have to have. It doesn't really affect the operability of the car right now. It's more a law like, hey, you need two headlights so people can see you. And it helps see the road, but it's you can still drive without it. This is a little bit more serious where you need all of your sensors to function properly. So it's a lot to think about. So and one of the things we're going to be doing in Cognolytica with all of these things, we brought up a lot of issues on this podcast. And trust me, we've been through this podcast a couple of times to identify all these issues, but we'll keep track of all these things. We'll keep track of the liability issues. We'll keep track of how do these companies go forward. We'll keep track of the technologies. Is there going to be group liability here? Will these manufacturers of sensors and software have to buy new insurance? Will their insurance requirements go up? Well, you know, it's just like basically making a baby monitoring and baby device. You can't sell anything for infants unless you qualify, you, you pass all these regulations and you have to buy very expensive product liability insurance. Maybe that's what has to happen here if you're in the autonomous vehicle industry. So if you're a startup or you're a technology company in the autonomous vehicle industry, I would be prepared to be buying a lot of insurance right now. I think it's useful. But we'll also keep track of these laws and regulations. We have some interesting ideas here. We'd be happy to provide our guidance and thought process to any state or federal or local bodies that are looking at making regulations. We think that we can provide some guidance here.
nature. But I think this is definitely an area that we're going to be paying some close attention to. Yeah, and in particular with this case, we will be paying attention to this and we'll be posting updated articles as we find them in our AI Today Facebook group. So definitely join that if you'd like to stay up to date on this discussion. And with that, we will post any articles and concepts discussed in today's podcast in our show notes. So as always, listeners, thanks for listening and we'll catch you at the next podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Fiverr.com. Fiverr is a marketplace for creative and digital freelance services. And in fact, I use Fiverr for quite a lot of the things that we do here at Cognolytica and AI Today, including the editing of this podcast, the generation of transcripts, and more. I definitely encourage you to take a look at using Fiverr for your creative and digital needs today. And I have a special offer for you today. Use the promo code AI Today for 15% off your first purchase on Fiverr.com. Offer valid until December 31st, 2018. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolytica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright 2018 by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.